0: Life is full of first-time events, isn't it? As we grow up, there's a first time for everything that we do, right? Now, by the time you're 60 or 70 years old, you're pretty much exhausted all of the first-time things. But think for a moment about the first time something happened to you, the first time something did, and, and how you responded to that. Was it confusion? Was it uh, fear? Just call out a, a first-time experience that you had that you can remember. It doesn't have to be recent. It could be a long time ago if you can remember that far back. Having a child. crashing a car. <laughs> yeah, I remember. <laughs> what else? Para-sailing. Parasailing. Woohoo. It's not parachuting out of a perfectly good plane. What else, Linda? Your first kiss. Your first kiss. All together now. Oh. <laughs> yes, Mike parachuting, that would be memorable, yeah. You know, the, the thing about it is, is while it may have been the first time that we did that thing, it was not the first time that that thing has happened, which is a good thing, right? Isn't it good to have people who have been through things before you so that you can you can go to them and say, you know, I, I, I that was the most terrifying thing in the entire... I'm not sure what to think about it. Oh, no, 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 it gets easier. You know, every time you jump out of a plane, it gets easier, it gets e- easier. Yeah. But something happened 2,000 years ago which truly had never happened before in the history of the human race. So I could understand, as has been mentioned a couple times already this morning, I could understand how a person would be a little bit stumped. How to respond? What to think about this? What comes next? Join me in Luke chapter 24 and we'll... Read a bit of this story. Luke chapter 24, as you're finding your way there to the first verse of that chapter, just a quick recap. Jesus had been crucified on Friday, Good Friday. After six hours on the cross, he had died. He had been taken down. He had been wrapped in a linen cloth. He had been put in a borrowed tomb that was not all that far away from Golgotha, where he had died on that cross. They rolled the stone over the the opening to that tomb, and then because it was the evening of the Sabbath, everybody went home. No working on the Sabbath, no embalming bodies on the Sabbath. So all day Friday evening and all day Saturday, people were at home, disciples of Jesus probably mourning in ways that we have a hard time understanding. And then on Sunday morning, this story picks up. Chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this... Remember how he told you, this is the I told you so. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his word. Oh, yeah. It's all coming back to me now. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense Nobody's ever had an experience like this before. Their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, I love Peter. (laughs) Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went in, wondering to himself what had happened. This week, as I've been meditating, reading, thinking, praying about this passage of Scripture, there was one phrase in this story that just kept coming to me. God's saying, This is important. That verse is the second half of verse 5. The angels asked, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? The word living there is not a special, extraordinary word. It's your garden variety word to describe a person who is not dead. You're either alive or you're dead. It's just that simple. The living is to describe people who are alive. But for the first time in human history that morning it was being used to refer to a completely new form of life. Resurrection life. Never before experienced by any human being, never has been experienced since that day, a completely new kind of life, resurrection life. Now, resurrection itself was not a new thought. This wasn't a new concept to those women. The expectation among Jews had always been that when the day of the Lord came, the Messiah would arrive. One of the things that would happen would be that all of those who had lived righteous lives and had died would be resurrected. There would be Thousands and thousands of people that would come out of their tombs, out of their bone boxes. As a matter of fact, the Talmud, which was a commentary on the the Torah, described what this resurrection would look like. If you died outside of Israel, if you were part of the diaspora, the Jews who had been scattered around the world, if you died outside of Israel, your body would roll back to Israel in underground tunnels is better than zombies. <laughs> that was the understanding that there would be this universal resurrection of all of the righteous dead. They would all gather back to Israel. In other words, there would be many, many people coming back to life at the same time. Would that be noticeable? <laughs> would, would you pay attention to that? Where you been all this time? (laughs) Dead. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on this passage, describes how incomprehensible Jesus' resurrection would have been to most of the Jews at that time. He writes, Nobody had ever dreamed that one single living person could be killed stone dead and then raised to a new sort of bodily life on the other side of the grave, while the rest of the world carried on as usual. Lots of people, yes. One person, no. That's not how it was supposed to happen. This was a first-of-its-kind conversation that these angels were having with, with, with the women in the tomb. The New Testament writers would begin using the term first fruits to describe this phenomenon of Jesus coming back to life, being resurrected. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes again, those who belong to him will be resurrected. So the angels are having a first-of-its-kind conversation with these women. Resurrection has never happened before. Jesus is now living a kind of life that has never been lived before. Now, in this passage in chapter 24, when the angel refers to the living, who is he talking about? All together now. Jesus. Why are you looking for the living Jesus among the dead? All of these other dead people in these tombs. But I would suggest to you that not only does the word living refer refer, refer to Jesus, but it also refers to the kind of life that Jesus was ushering in with his resurrection. Likewise, the word dead doesn't only refer to the people who were buried in those nearby tombs, but it also describes the kind of life that the world, without Christ, without resurrection, the kind of life that the world lives, living and death. First, let's look at the dead or the death, something we're all too familiar with. Adam and Eve's original sin ushered death into the world, didn't it? We could have been eaten from that tree of eternal life, but no, Adam and Eve decided to get there ahead of time, out of order, and usher death into our world. But death is not only a biological fact of life, is it? It's also a spiritual truth. We are spiritually dead. We have no relationship with God. We can't hear and understand him. We can't love him. We can't have faith in him. We can't obey him because we are dead, spiritually dead. Paul tells us that the wages or the result of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Moreover, death is a word that describes how the world gets things done. You didn't think about that, have you? You know, the world lives by death. Oh, it comes in many forms. I think of the world's addiction to violence, How do we get people to do the things we want them to do? We intimidate them. We bully them. We we threaten them. We use weapons to make them do what we want to do. The world uses power. How can we force people to do things our way? We exert whatever power we can. The world lives by wealth. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. The world lives by selfishness. Me first. I want what I want and I want it now, and you can't have any of the leftovers. Dead is a description of life without Christ. In the New Testament, there are lists of qualities that refer to death or to life. They're oftentimes called vice and virtue lists, and they're scattered throughout the New Testament. I went through all of the various vice lists. Here are words that describe what death is like in the world. It's as if these, this list is the, the fruit of sinfulness. Here's the words. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, arrogance, folly, wickedness, evil, depravity, strife, insolence, boastfulness, infidelity, mercilessness, lovelessness, ignorance, carousing, drunkenness, debauchery, dissension. I'm only halfway there, folks. Hang with me. Jealousy, idolatry, swindling, discord, rage, selfish ambition, gossip, witchcraft, hatred, factions, bitterness, brawling, obscenity, Foolish talk, coarse joking, enslavement, lying, perjury, abuse, disobedience to parents. Ungratefulness, unholiness, unforgiveness, lack of self-control, brutality, treacherousness, rashness, conceit, hedonism, hypocrisy, lust, orgies, orgies, carousing, and cowardice. Excuse me for a moment. Feel like you need to clean your mouth out after that, don't you? This is a list of the things that rule and dominate our lives in the world without Christ, without resurrection. These are the things that caused Christ to die on the cross. The angels at Jesus' tomb asked, "Why are you looking for the dead for the living among the dead?" Jesus is no longer dead, is he? Jesus is no longer in that tomb, is he? His work among the dead that lasted parts of three days has now been completed. Can I get an amen? Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, You see, at just the right time, when we were still Powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for me. Christ died for you. Very rarely, Paul says, will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. My favorite word in the Bible, but. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Woohoo! Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! <laughs> while we were dead in our sins, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we continue to live in these fallen mortal bodies, there's a new kind of life that is at work in us changing everything the angels speak of the living which not only describe Jesus that morning that Easter Sunday morning but also it describes the kind of life that Jesus makes possible in us just as there are vice lists as horrible as they are in the New Testament so there are virtue lists aren't you glad these are lists of the things which are the product or the result of Christ and resurrection power in our lives. This is the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, purity, understanding, truthfulness, compassion, forgiveness, righteousness, humility, endurance, being considerate, submissive, impartial, sincere, sympathetic, and godly. Don't those words sound and taste a lot better on your tongue? (laughs) Aren't you sitting up straighter when you think about the virtue list? Isn't there joy beginning to rise up in your heart? Isn't there hope beginning to take over your life when you read that list of the fruit of the spirit in our lives? There are several New Testament phrases used to describe this kind of life. One of them is new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. The first creation, Adam and Eve, and... Iterations B, C, D, E, the Noah story, the Abraham story, the Israel story, all of these were failed creation stories because the human beings could not live in relationship with God the way we were designed to live. They all ended with death and sin. But then comes Jesus' resurrection. Life 2.0. An absolutely clean slate for us. A fresh start. A new beginning. Another phrase is new life. From Romans chapter 6, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Sounds like being... Born again, doesn't it? No, not going back in your mother's womb, but starting a brand new kind of life with the ability to have faith in God like we've never had before, with the ability to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which we've never been able to do before, the ability to to obey God because He is our Heavenly Father. New life. Another phrase is eternal life. We're so familiar with this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one, say it with me, folks. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal not only describes the duration of life, but it also describes the quality of that life. What does eternal life look like? It looks like Jesus's life. Eternal life is the life that God makes possible, that we might be godly. Another phrase the New Testament uses is abundant life. John 10.10, 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it to the Full. Full life is the life that God intends for us to live it's the template, it's the pattern, it's the blueprint, it's the description of the life that we can live with God through Christ it's not a truncated, dumbed down version of life, it's a life that's infused with all of the power and the purity of God Christ is the only one so far to have experienced resurrection. All those people that he raised from the dead in the New Testament, they all died again. Christ is the only one to have experienced resurrection life. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, we now have access to the fullness of Christ. We have the power to serve God and the power to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The sad thing about this wonderful morning, this truth, the sad thing is that it's possible, even for those who have been redeemed by Christ, to continue to live among the dead. We call it carnal Christianity. Saved, but still being ruled by our sinful human nature. We as individuals and whole communities and countries continue to choose the dead ways of the world rather than the new life of Christ. You think back to that long and ugly list of vices. Are any of those still active in my life? Are there any hints of those kind of vices that rears its head, ugly head in your life from time to time? It's possible to be saved but continue to live a carnal life. The even sadder thing is that there are many people who reject the life of Christ because they see vices in the lives of those who claim to know Christ. Hypocrisy is probably the number one reason that people will give for not believing in Jesus Christ. I've seen it in so-and-so's life, I saw it in my parents, I saw it in some friends at school, and I don't want to have anything to do. with it. How sad is it that if we continue to live as if we were dead, it's not only hurting our relationship with God, but it's hurting other people's potential relationship with God. Jesus' resurrection provides the grace necessary to completely transform our sinful lives. We do not have to sin in word, thought, and deed every day of our lives. We do not have to live as a slave to temptation. We do not have to live with vices in the deep basement of our soul. With Christ's resurrection comes the grace necessarily to live completely transformed lives. Not carnal lives, but lives that are conformed to the image of Christ. Lives that look like Jesus. Lives that other people look at and they say, you know, I I want what you have. That is the power of resurrection at work. So the angels asked, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. This sermon series is called Conversations with God, and the hope is that as we travel through Luke's gospel week after week, we are looking at conversations that people had with God. It might have been through angel encounters like today. It might have been conversations with Jesus. It might have been dreams and visions. My contention is, though, that in prayer is the most important thing that we have to spend our time doing in life. As we pray, we encounter God. Oh, he may show up out of the blue sometime. But if we pray, we are having a conversation with God every single time. And if you're having a conversation with God, you're drawing near to him, right? You don't stand on the other side of the room and shout. No, you draw near. You have a face-to-face conversation. And what happens when you have a conversation long enough with the same person? You discover the beautiful Christ-like things about that person. You discover the things that just make you a better person. So as we have conversations with God, we are transformed. We are welcomed into the intimate embrace of God. Paul prayed a prayer like this for the church in Ephesus. If you want to join me in Ephesians chapter 1, perhaps one of my one or two or three favorite prayers in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading at verse 17. Paul was praying for the Ephesian congregation. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul, praying that the Ephesians might know the incomparably great power. Say that with me. Incomparably great power. Power, hard to pronounce, but a wonderful thing to pray for. That power, he says, he's going to describe it to them, what that incomparably great power is, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body say I am the body of Christ the The fullness of him who fills everything in every way I'm not going to need Easter lunch because I'm full (laughs) if we pray God transforms us. We become full of God. Let's pray this prayer for ourselves, though. Let's not just read it as a 2,000-year-old historical document. Oh, Paul prayed that for people in Asia Minor, Turkey. No. Let's pray this prayer for ourselves starting today, especially for his incomparably great power which is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that we might be the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Brothers and sisters, Easter is about resurrection power and resurrection prayer, helping us to find resurrection life in all the right places. Let's pray together. We do thank you, Lord. We thank you for doing that which we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, we are dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins. But you thought enough of us You liked us enough. You thought we were potentially valuable enough. You loved us enough to die on a cross to demonstrate that love to us, to defeat Satan's power of sin and death in our lives, to defeat Satan's power of sin and death in the world. Lord, you loved us enough That you made a way to unleash your righteousness, your purity, your grace, your love, your mercy, your forgiveness, your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, you loved us enough to make a way to fill us with yourself, your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for being alive today. We thank you even more for being alive in us. And Lord, we confess there are times that the vice list comes back to mind. There are times, Lord, when something drives us so close to the edge, maybe even over the edge, and we do something, we say something, we think something that is not Christ-like. Father, we thank you for your quick forgiveness. We thank you for filling us with the Holy Spirit that not only forgives us, but transforms us. You are faithful and just to forgive our sins, but also, Lord, faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from, from, from all unrighteousness. Lord, this Easter morning, we... We invite you deeper into our life than you've ever been before. Mm -hmm. Lord, we invite you into a deeper relationship with you than we've ever had before. Lord, you're the one that invited us first, but Lord, we want you to be Lord of our Mm -hmm. lives. We thank you for your resurrection power that makes that possible for us to be full of you. Lord, we give you ourselves and we thank you for giving yourself to us on the cross and the empty tomb. In Christ's name we pray and all of God's children say, Amen. Amen.